Chapters 71, 72, and 73 of Ruth Hall by Fanny Fern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 71 Ah, another letter from Floyd, said Mr. Walter, as he seated himself in his office. Now I shall hear how Les Common Tibbets and Company feel about losing her. Floy had probably told them by the time she wrote, and they have probably told her that she owes her reputation to them, called her ungrateful and all sort of the thing. Let's see what she says. After reading Floy's letter, Mr. Walter laid it down and began muttering out his thoughts after his usual fashion. Just as I expected, Lescom has worked on Floy's kind heart till she really feels a sort of necessity not to leave him so abruptly, and requests me as a personal favor to grant his request, at least for a time. No, no, Floy, not unless he will pay you five times as much as he pays you now, and allow you, besides, to write much or little as you please. But where is Lescom's communication? Ruth says he wrote by the same mail. Ah, here it is. Mr. Walter, Sir, Mrs. Hall, Floy, informs me that you have engaged her to write exclusively for the household messenger, and that you will not consent to her writing for any other publication. Perhaps you are not aware that I was the first to introduce Floy to the public, and that I have made her reputation what it is. This being the case, you will not think it strange that I feel as if I had some claim on her, so long as I pay her as much as she can get elsewhere. I need not say to you that the standard is in a very flourishing condition, its circulation having nearly doubled during the past year, and that my resources are such as to enable me to outbid all competitors for Floyd's services, if I choose to take such a course. But I trust you will at once perceive that the standard should be made an exception to your contract, and permit Floyd still to write for it. Respectfully yours, F. Lescom. "'Well, upon my word,' exclaimed Mr. Walter, when he had finished Mr. Lescom's letter, "'if it is not the coolest piece of egotism and impudence that I ever saw. "'But it is no use wasting vitality about it. "'I will just answer the letter and let things take their course. "'I have the weather gauge of him now, and I'll keep it. "'He shall have my reply to digest the first thing in the morning. "'I'll write to Floy first, though.' On the designated Thursday, Ruth, according to her promise, called at the Standard office. Something had occurred to detain Mr. Lescom, so she sat down and opened Mr. Walter's letter, which lay on the table waiting for her, and read as follows. Dear Ruth, I have just finished reading yours and Lescom's letter. Yours has touched me deeply. It was just like you, but you know little of the selfishness and humbuggery of some newspaper publishers. You seem really to think that you ought to write for Mr. Lescom, if he so much desires it. This is very good of you, and very amiable, but, forgive my want of gallantry, very foolish. You can now understand, if you did not before, why I desired you to sign the contract by return mail. I was afraid if you went to Mr. Lescom or Mr. Tibbets of the Pilgrim, before signing it, that they would impose upon your good womanly heart, and thereby gain an unfair advantage over you. I wished to surprise you in signing the contract, that I might have a fair and righteous advantage over them. And now, Floy, 
"'Please to leave the whole matter to me. "'I shall not consent to your writing for any paper "'unless the proprietors will give you the full value of your articles, "'what they are really worth to them. "'If things turn out, as I confidently expect they will, "'from your present popularity, "'you will soon be in a state of comparative independence. "'On the next page you will find a copy of my answer to Mr. Lescombe's letter. "'Please keep me informed of the happenings at your end of the route. Yours most truly, John Walter. Ruth then read Mr. Walter's letter to Mr. Lescombe as follows. F. Lescombe, Esquire. Sir, your letter in regard to Floy and Company is at hand. You say that perhaps I am not aware that you were the first to introduce Floy to the public, and that you have made her reputation. It is fortunate for you that she made the standard the channel of her first communications to the public. I know this very well, but I am not aware, nor do I believe, that you have made her reputation. Neither do I think that you believe this yourself. The truth is simply this. Floy is a genius. Her writings, wherever published, would have attracted attention, and stamped the writer as a person of extraordinary talent. Hence her fame and success, the fruits of which you have principally reaped. As to Floy's being under any obligations to you, I repudiate the idea entirely. The obligation is all on the other side. She has made the standard, instead of you making her reputation." Her genius has borne its name to England, Scotland, Ireland, wherever the English language is spoken, and raised it from an obscure provincial paper to a widely known journal. You say that you are wealthy, and can pay as much as anybody for Floy's services. I wonder this has never occurred to you before, especially as she has informed you frequently how necessitous were her circumstances. You also inform me that the circulation of the standard has nearly doubled the past year. This I can readily believe, since it is something more than a year since Floy commenced writing for it. In reply to your declaration, that in case you are driven to compete for Floy's services, you can outbid all competitors, I have only to say that my contract with her is for one year. On its expiration, Floy will be at liberty to decide for herself. You will then have an opportunity to compete for her pen, and enjoy the privilege of exhibiting your enterprise and liberality. Your observant servant, John Walter. Ruth waited some time after reading these letters for Mr. Lescombe to come in, but, finding he was still unexpectedly detained, she took a handful of letters, which the clerk has just received by mail for her, and bent her steps homeward. End of chapter 71 Chapter 72 The first letter Ruth opened on her return was a request from a professor of some college, for her autograph for himself and some friends, the second an offer of marriage from a southerner, who confessed to one hundred negroes, but hoped that the strength and ardor of the attachment with which the perusal of her articles had inspired him would be deemed sufficient atonement for this in her northern eyes. The frozen north, he said, had no claim on such a nature as hers. The sunny south, the land of magnolias and orange blossoms, the land of love, should be her chosen home. Would she not smile on him? She should have a box at the opera, a carriage, and servants in livery, and the whole heart and soul of Victor Lepont. 
The next was more interesting. It was an offer to Floy from a publishing house to collect her newspaper articles into a volume. They offered to give her so much on a copy or eight hundred dollars for the copyright. An answer was requested immediately. In the same mail came another letter of the same kind from a distant state, also offering to publish a volume of her articles. Well, well, soliloquized Ruth. Business is accumulating. I don't see, but I shall have to make a book in spite of myself, and yet those articles were written under such disadvantages, would it be wise in me to publish so soon? But, Katie, and eight hundred dollars copyright money? Ruth glanced round her miserable dark room, and at the little stereotyped bowl of bread and milk that stood waiting on the table for her supper and Nettie's. Eight hundred dollar copyright money. It was a temptation. But supposing her book should prove a hit, and bring double, treble, foretold that sum, to go into her publisher's pockets instead of hers. How provoking! Ruth straightened up, and putting on a very resolute air, said, No, gentlemen, I will not sell you my copyright. These autograph letters, and all the other letters of friendship, love, and business I am constantly receiving from strangers, are so many proofs that I have won the public ear. No, I will not sell my copyright. I will rather deny myself a while longer, and accept the percentage. And so she sat down and wrote her publishers, but then caution whispered, What if her book should not sell? Oh, pshaw, said Ruth, it shall and she brought her little fist down on the table till the old stone inkstand seemed to rattle out. It shall. Ah, here is another letter which I have overlooked, said Ruth. To the distinguished and popular writer, Floy. Madam, I trust you will excuse the liberty I take in writing you when you get through with my letter. I am thus confident of your leniency, because it seems to me that my case is not only a plain, but an interesting one. To come to the point, without any circumlocutory delay, I am a young man with aspirations far above my station in life. This declaration is perfectly true in some senses, but not in every sense. My parents and my ancestors are and were highly respectable people. My name, as you will see when you come to my signature, is Reginald Danby. The Danby family, madam, was founded by Sir Reginald Danby, who was knighted for certain gallant exploits on the field of Hastings in the year 1066, by William the Conqueror. Sir Reginald afterward married a Saxon dame, named Edith, the daughter of a powerful landowner, hence the Danby family. All this is of very little consequence, and I only mention it in a sort of incidental way, to show you that my declaration in regard to the respectability of family is true, and fortified by unimpeachable historical evidence, and I will here remark that you will always find an assertion of mine as well sustained by copious and irrefragable proof. The respectability of our family being thus settled, I come back to an explanation of what I mean by my having aspirations above my station in life. It is this, I am poor. My family, though once wealthy, is now impoverished. The way this state of things came about was substantially as follows. My grandfather, who was a strong-minded, thrifty gentleman, married into a poetical family. 
His wife was the most poetical member of such family. Much of her poetry is still extant. It never was published, because in those days publishers were not as enterprising as they are now. We value these manuscripts very highly. Still, I should be willing to send you some of them for perusal, in case you will return them and pay the postage both ways, my limited means not permitting me to share that pleasure with you. As I have intimated, my grandmother reveled in poetry. She doted on Shakespeare, and about three months before my father's birth, she went to a theatre to witness the performance of The Midsummer Night's Dream. She was enchanted, and, with characteristic decision, resolved to commit the entire play to memory. This resolution she executed with characteristic pertinacity, notwithstanding frequent and annoying interruptions from various causes entirely beyond her control. She finished committing this immortal poem to memory, the very night my father was born. Time rolled on. My father, as he grew up, exhorted great flightiness of character and instability of purpose, the result, undoubtedly, of his mother's committing the Midsummer Night's Dream to memory under the circumstances which I have detailed. My father, owing to this unfortunate development of character, proved inadequate to the management of his estate, or, indeed, of any business whatever, and hence our present pecuniary embarrassments. Before quitting this painful branch of my subject, it will doubtless gratify you to have me state that, inasmuch as my father married a woman of plumatic temperament and entirely unpoetical mind, the balance of character has been happily restored to our family, so there is no fear for me. I am thus particular in my statements because I have a high regard for truth and for veracity, for accuracy in the minutest things, a phrase of character which may be accounted for from the fact that I have just gone through a severe and protracted course of mathematics. These preliminaries being thus fairly before you, I now come to the immediate topic of my letter. I wish to go through college. I have not the means. I wish you to help me. You are probably rich. I hope you are with all my heart. You must be able to command a high salary and a great deal of influence. I don't ask you to lend me the money out of hand. What I propose is this. I will furnish you the subject for a splendid and thrilling story, founded on facts in the history of our family, the Danby family. In this book, my grandmother's poetry would probably read to advantage. If so, it would be a great saving, as her writings are voluminous. Your book would be sure to have a large sale, and the profits would pay my expenses at college, and perhaps leave a large surplus. This surplus should be yours, and I would also agree to pay back the sum used by me from my first earnings after graduation. I have thought over this matter a great deal, and the foregoing strikes me as the only way in which this thing can be done. If you can devise a better plan, I will of course gladly adopt it. I am not at all opinionated, but am always glad to listen to anything reasonable. Please let me hear from you as soon as possible, and believe me, truly, your friend and admirer, Reginald Danny. End of chapter 72 Chapter 73 
Mr. Tibbets, the editor of The Pilgrim, having returned from the country, Ruth went to the Pilgrim office to get copies of several of her articles, which she had taken no pains to keep, never dreaming of republishing them in book form. Mr. Tibbets was sitting at his editorial desk, looking over a pile of manuscript. Ruth made known her errand, and also the fact of her being about to publish her book. He handed her a chair, and drawing another in front of her, said very stiffly, "'My partner, Mr. Elder, Mrs. Hall, has astonished me by the information that you have very suddenly decided to withdraw from us, who first patronized you, and to write for the household messenger.' "'Yes,' replied Ruth. "'I considered it my duty to avail myself of that increase of salary. "'My circumstances have been exceedingly straitened. "'I have two little ones dependent on my exertions, "'and their future as well as my own to look to. "'You have often told me that you already paid me all you could afford, "'so it was useless to ask you for more. "'Beside, the contract I have accepted "'obliged me to decline or accept it by return of mail, "'without communicating its contents.' Ah. "'I see, I see,' said Mr. Tibbets, growing very red in the face, and pushing back his chair. "'It is always the way young writers treat those who have made their reputation.' "'Perhaps your making my reputation may be a question open to debate,' answered Ruth, stung by his tone. "'I feel this morning, however, disinclined to discuss the question. "'So, if you please, we will waive it.' "'You have always told me that you were constantly beset "'by the most talented contributors for patronage, "'so that, of course, you will not find it difficult "'to supply my place when I leave you.' "'But you shall not leave,' said Mr. Tibbets, "'turning very pale about the mouth "'and closing his lips firmly. "'Shall not,' repeated Ruth, rising, "'and standing erect before him. "'Shall not, Mr. Tibbets? "'I have yet to learn that I am not free to go if I choose.' "'Well, you are not,' said Mr. Tibbets. "'That is a little mistake of yours, as I will soon convince you. "'Discontinue writing for the Pilgrim, "'and I will immediately get out a cheap edition of your articles "'and spoil the sale of your book.' "'And he folded his arms and faced Ruth as if he would say, "'Now, Ruth, if you like, I have you.' "'Ruth smiled derisively, then answered in a tone so low "'that it was scarcely audible.' "'Mr. Tibbets, you have mistaken your auditor. "'I am not to be frightened, or threatened, or insulted,' said she, turning toward the door. "'Even had I not myself the spirit to defy you, as I now do, "'for I will never touch pen to paper again for the pilgrim. "'You could not accomplish your threat. "'For think you my publishers will tamely fold their arms "'and see their rights infringed? "'No, sir.' "'You have mistaken both them and me.' "'And Ruth moved toward the door. "'Stay!' exclaimed Mr. Tibbets, placing his hand on the latch. "'When you see a paragraph in print that will sting your proud soul to the quick, "'know that John Tibbets has more ways than one of humbling so imperious a dame.' "'That will be hardly consistent,' replied Ruth, in the same calm tone. "'With the thousand and one commendatory notices of Floy, "'the boast you have made of the almost exclusive right "'to the valuable services of so bright a literary star.' "'Of course you will not see such a paragraph in my paper,' "'replied Mr. Tibbets. "'I am aware, most logical of women, "'that I stand committed before the public there. 
but I have many an editorial friend scattered over the country who would loan me their columns for this purpose. As you please, said Ruth. It were a manly act, but your threat does not move me. I'll have my revenge, exclaimed Tibbets, as the last fold of Ruth's dress fluttered out the door. End of chapter 73